Let's open our Bibles today to the book of Acts, chapter 9. And if you didn't bring your Bible, uh, I think the red one there, it's page 740. How do I know that? I, I looked. Uh, in two weeks, uh, these pews will be gone. Uh, uh, we have a church somewhere up there, uh, Audie Eddie's relative that's building a, a little church to start with, and the guy came down and says, you know, I know you're getting rid of these pews. I think I can get a few years out of them. He hasn't seen how heavy they are. <laughs> I think probably when he brings some of his people down and they try to lift one of these things up, they'll change their mind and say, you know, we think we'll just go with these old steel chairs we have. But So if you want any memorabilia, how'd you like to have one of these on your porch? We'll sell it to you at a good price. <laughs> you know, it, it wouldn't look very good out on your porch, but uh, in uh, Acts chapter 9, uh, we find one of the most stupendous stories in the Bible. The story of the conversion of the most impossible sinner. Uh, the Bible says that he was converted, Saul of Tarsus, uh, as an example. Because, you know, you and I know people, then you look at them and you say, boy, if, if anybody is impossible, that person is impossible. They could never come to God. We Listen, no one ever said that as many times as it was said of Saul of Tarsus. And so if you were here two weeks ago, you, you're, you're up to date on the message. And we're going to pick up in verse number 6 of Acts 9. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's whenever the Lord appeared to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. Uh, the Lord revealed himself to him. Uh, he said, I'm Jesus. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And uh, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I've mentioned this to you before, that that's a good prayer for all of us to pray all the time. When we get up in the morning, that's, that's the thing to say. Lord, what do you want me to do today? I'm here at your disposal. Here, here are my hands. Here's my heart. Uh, here's my mind. Lord, you just show me, you just guide me. I want to do something for you today. And so he, he asked the right question, and the Lord gave him the answer. He didn't give him the answer for the rest of his life. He just gave him the next part of the answer. He said, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, neither did he eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Here am I. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight. Every time we talk from this particular passage of Scripture, all the teenagers in the church get excited because that's the name of their youth building over there in South Park, Straight Street. He said, I want you to go to a street called Straight and inquire of the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, 
For behold, he's praying. Uh, for three days in his blindness, he fasted and he prayed. Uh, it was a time of real soul searching for him because he realized that uh, his former life was certainly a, a terrible mistake. And I think a lot of people have to come to grips with that today, don't you think? When people are confronted with the claims of Christ and they learn, listen, there's another life out there other than the life I've been living. And, uh, and they have to live with it for the rest of their life, all the years that they spent going in the wrong direction. The life of Saul of Tarsus teaches me or, or reminds me of, uh, of a man in our church. Years ago he came to our church and, and he came to Christ and he said, you know, for the first half of my life I served the devil with every bit of energy that I had. I gave it all I had. And he said, now it's going to be my goal for the rest of my life to serve God with all the energy of my heart. I'm going to put everything into serving God, you know, and I want to go on record, he did that, and he's doing it to this day. And so he's a whole lot like Saul in the Bible. Um, verse number 12, and in a vision he was seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to the saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on his name. And the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel. And I want you to, we're going to talk about this in a minute. Uh, this is why I want you to go to him, Ananias. He's my person. He belongs to me. I chose him. Uh, he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and laid his hands on him. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me, that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus uh, in the New Testament called himself the way. And I said to you that if uh, that the first designation of churches when they were born was the church on the way. Uh, it, they had meetings of little houses, and if they ever did put a sign out front, that's what it would read, the way. Uh, we're all familiar with John 14, 6, aren't we? And we have that back there. Let's read this. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now if you've been thinking about learning to memorize some scripture, this is the one you can begin with first. Because this is the one that stuck in the mind of the disciples of the Lord. Jesus said, I am the way. And after he said that, his disciples went out and they kept saying, he's the way. He's the way. And so the church became noted as the people of the way. And, uh, and so uh, on the way to Damascus, uh, Saul of Tarsus met Jesus, who was the way to heaven. Uh, this is a famous story we're talking about this morning, so much so that it's repeated in Acts 22 and then again in Acts 26. Uh, for three days after he met Christ on the road to the risen Savior, on the road to Damascus, he was, uh, he was fasting, he was blind, 
and he was praying, trying to sort out, sort through all this confusion of his life. How could he have been so wrong? How could he have made so many mistakes? Uh, he went from darkness to light, just like that. Someone has suggested that the the statement in Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 4, could have taken place right here. Paul could have been in these three days caught up into the third heaven or paradise that he talks about. It could have happened right here in this period of time. Well, who will help Saul? You know, the Lord knows how to get people's attention. There was a gentleman in our church not long ago. His wife took him, tried to get him to go to church for many years. And then God got his attention finally through a situation in his life that he, that he couldn't control. It was bigger than him, and it depressed him tremendously. And he realized, you know, I, I need God in my life. I need something. And so here is Saul of Tarsus, and he's on his road to, uh, he's going to Damascus to arrest Christians. And he alludes to this in Philippians. He said, I have uh, not apprehended yet, but I have been apprehended by Christ. He went to arrest Christians, and he was arrested by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so now he is reduced to a man who is blind, uh, a man who has lost his pride, just like that. You know, God has a way to do that, because isn't that the thing that keeps most of us away from God? It is in my life. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so he reduced his pride just like that. And so who's going to help him now? Well, you know, God has a spiritual network out there. He really does. He has people positioned all over the world to do his work. And in this instance, he had a man named Ananias. And so he came to Ananias and he said, listen, I have somebody over here I want you to uh, go see. And his Saul of Tarsus and Ananias was not excited about this whole idea because Ananias was on Saul's hit list and he said that you know I don't really want to see him at all because I know he's come to Damascus to arrest Christians and take them back to Jerusalem and so the Lord had to work him through that you know Ananias is so typical of you and me usually when the Lord asks us to do something we don't jump at the opportunity do we the Lord says, hey, I want you to do this. And we like, oh, yeah, Lord, I'd like to do that. Maybe somebody else could do that better. Have you ever done that? Yeah, that's an understatement, isn't it? Somebody else, Lord, would be much better at that than I am. And so, and so he's very typical. He said, Lord, I don't think I'm too interested in this. And the Lord worked him through that. And he began to say, listen, Ananias, relax. He is a chosen vessel of mine. You know, when God chooses uh, someone, that's important. He chose the nation of Israel. Israel in the Bible is called the chosen people of God, the chosen nation. He chose his apostles, and this is one of them right here. And I like what Jesus said in John 15:16. He said, you did not choose me. Well, let's read it. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give you 
he said, listen, you didn't select me, I selected you. Uh, and so he told Ananias, uh, he's a chosen vessel of mine, and he is chosen to go to the Gentiles. Now this was an incredible thing, and you know, we read this today and we think nothing about it. But in its context, this is what it meant. Gentiles were considered by Jewish people to be created to fuel the fires of hell. That's what they thought of the Gentile world. The, everyone outside of their world. They were the chosen people and they, and they took great pride in that and they thought they were the only people. And so here the Lord says to Ananias, he says, listen, uh, he's going to be a messenger of mine to the Gentiles. And that was a new idea. Um, Galatians 2.8, I think we have that. Don't we? Do we have that verse? Galatians 2.8, we don't have that verse. It says this, for the same God who worked through Peter for the benefit of the Jews worked through me for the benefit of the Gentiles. You know, Peter was the... Uh, Peter was the apostle to the Jewish people. That's what everybody wanted to be. If, if God called them into the ministry, don't, please don't call me to the Gentiles. Call me to the Jews. Uh, and he says here also in this passage of scripture that he was going to be sent to kings. And if you look back at the end of the, the book of Acts, he comes before kings. And then he comes before Israel. And then he says, I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, he was called to suffering. Now, he had created a lot of suffering in people's minds, but he was going to uh, suffer a lot for the cause of Christ. You know, God has called everybody to a commitment not to comfort. Uh, he promises to be with us through suffering, not to insulate us from us. You know, it would be great and the churches would be filled today uh, if we could say to people, listen, come to Christ and be happy and healthy and wealthy and without pain. Uh, we wouldn't have any trouble selling the church, would we? But, uh, but here's one of the greatest persons that ever walked across the pages of history. And God says, listen, I've got to explain to him how much suffering he's going to have to pay. Uh, to be my light in this dark world, there is a price to pay for that. Second Timothy chapter 1. Verse 11, let's read this. To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Now, this is Paul toward the end of his life. He says, listen, I've been, I've been a preacher, I've been an apostle, I'm a teacher to the Gentiles, and for this reason I suffer these things. But I'm not ashamed. It's okay. Uh, Saul was willing to suffer for the privilege of giving the message of eternal life. And all over our world today, people are suffering uh, for the privilege of giving the message of eternal life. People are willing to pay the price to share the joy that Christ brings into a person's life. Uh, each person has a place in the body of Christ. Ananias would be, would be a missionary encourager. Uh, you know, God calls you and God calls me to work together, but we all have our own little niche in the church. 
He was a missionary encourager. And you know, for the most part, that's what American churches really are. We can't go out and do the work that we think missionaries should do in Brazil or in Ecuador or in Haiti or those places. But we can certainly encourage the missionaries to continue. You know, our church carries a heavy load for missions. It really does. Uh, I think I've only mentioned this to you one other time. Probably in the last uh, six years, our church has given over half a million dollars to missionaries, straight to the mission field. That's a heavy load. You know, we look back and we say, well, God did that. Of course he did it. But, you know, the missionaries are looking for the check next month and the following month. And so, uh, and so that puts the heat on us. You know, are we going to continue to be a missionary encouraging church? Uh, Saul would be a missionary to those people who had never heard. He's charting new territory. And so here comes Ananias, and he, after the Lord worked him through this, he came and he, look at verse number 17. He says, Brother Saul, welcome to the family of God. What a difference 72 hours has made in Saul's life. He has gone from a hater of Christians now to one in the family of God, to the very family that he hated with all of his heart. Ananias had the ability to forgive. You know, I'm always amazed at the tremendous ability that people have to forgive other people of transgressions against them. Here's Ananias. If anybody could hold something against Saul of Tarsus, it was him. But he reaches out his hand and he says, Brother Saul, uh, what is that saying? That's saying, I forgive you. I like what Jesus said in John 13, 34. Let's turn over there. You, you have your Bibles there in front of you. Uh, it's to the left from where you are, not too many pages. John 13, 34. Jesus says here, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Um, he's reaching out with the love of Christ. Now here the Bible says this is a new commandment to love Christ. Uh, and, the, and the newness of this commandment to love, in the Old Testament God did command us to love him and to love everybody else. But Jesus says, I'm going to take that up a step higher. I want you to love people like I, like I do. And that's as high as you can get, isn't it? And so here's Saul of Tarsus, and, and I'm sure that everybody in Damascus wanted to keep him at an arm's length. But I just have to believe that in Ananias' mind, maybe he had these, these words. Um, I want you to love people, Ananias, like I love them. And so... He reaches out his hand and he says, I forgive you. I forgive you. And so, and so here we have a relationship starting in Acts chapter 9 with Ananias and with Saul of Tarsus. And I, let's go back there to Acts 9 and look at a few more things. He welcomed into the family of God. He, Ananias laid his hands upon him in verse 17. He received his sight. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 18, he was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. And look at this. Immediately, he preached the Messiah in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. This is the starting line. 
Saul said, okay, let's do it. I'm now a follower of Jesus. I met him back there. I believe he's alive. He told me he wants, to serve, he, he wants me to be a chosen person. He, he's, I'm chosen of him. That's a pretty high privilege. Uh, I'm to go to kings. I'm to go to the Jews. I'm to go to the Gentiles. I'm to suffer. Let's, let's begin. Get it on, in other words. And so we see here in this passage the first steps of his growth. How does a new convert begin to witness? Where does he begin to witness? Well, you know, the easiest place to witness is to somebody that you don't know. You know, then I always find great courage when I get in that environment. I'm like a lion, really. Uh, somebody I don't know, it's like, oh, man, this is really awesome. But, you know, somebody you know, it's a different issue, isn't it? And somebody you know really well, it strikes literal fear to your heart. You say, oh, let somebody else tell them the golden story about the Lord. Well, Saul here is known very well in Damascus. And he could have said, you know, I am a missionary, by the way. And I think I'll just go somewhere else and begin my career in ministry. No, he started to preach to the people that he knew best. And so I want to encourage you and encourage myself to begin right there. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, no matter if you know people well or not. Just go for it, okay? Uh, and, and the subject of his conversation was that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, Bible scholars tell us that either between verse 21 and verse 22 or verse 22 and verse 23, there is a three-year period of Saul's life that is not mentioned. To get this, you have to go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 17. He talks about it. He said, for a period of three years, I went into the desert. And so Saul had a desert experience. He started preaching, and then all of a sudden he disappears uh, from the pages here for three years. Uh, he goes to be with the Lord. Now, I'm sure that he preached wherever he was, but he was learning for a period of three years from the Lord himself. He comes back. Uh, he comes back. And look at verse 23. Now, after many days was passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Uh, he needed a time alone, more than three days that he had. He needed time alone with God. Uh, he needed it. We need it. I need it. You need it. You know, the world is so draining out there, isn't it? Do you ever come home at night and you just feel like you've just been beat to a pulp? You just feel like, oh, man, I'm just worn out. Uh, everything seems to be haywire in the world. And everything seems to be haywire where I work. And for the most part, everything is dysfunctional. And you're just completely wrung out. And so the Bible says, they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. You know, we have our church retreats, and our ladies come back, and our men come back, and they're all revived for about a week. 
And, you know, they wish that it could last for longer, but that's about it, you know. They had three days alone with God, and, and they're like going to tackle the world for a week. Let me say to you, uh, don't be one of those individuals. Uh, I want you to develop in your life a time alone with God. And I know this is hard, but the benefits are incalculable. You can't calculate the benefits of this. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, let's look at that. This, let's read it. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret place. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Go to your room. Shut the door. Be alone with God. What it does is it refreshes you. It enables you to face the battle again. Because if you don't do that, you know what happens? You run down and you wear down fast. And all of a sudden, you are marked among the millions of Christians trying to run on empty. It's like the car won't go. Uh, but if you do this, I, I can't explain to you the strength that God will give you. I can't explain to you the strength that God will give you. And so he says, I've got to disappear for a while, and I'm going to go out to the desert, and I'm going to fill my life up with God. Did you see how I looked at my watch when I did that? <laughs> they took the clock off the back wall, and I completely lost, completely lost up here. And I know that you guys are watching your clock, clock okay? Uh, well, you know, he came back he came back into town. And man, he's on fire. Verse 23. Now, after many days was passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. The result of his listen to this. The result of his successful preaching is they wanted to kill him. You know, when you're successful in the Lord's work, you could get killed very easily. Uh, he was successful in God's work. I remember several years ago, remember in Pittsburgh several years ago, the Presbyterian pastor got fired from his church out there in East Liberty somewhere because he was preaching too much against sin. And I thought when that was all going on, it was all over the, all over the television, I thought that would be so cool to get fired for that reason. I said, look at that on your resume. Whoa. That's just like biblical, isn't it? Preachers are supposed to be fired for that. And you know, they were, church just like kicked him out. You're making life too hot here for us in the church. God bless him. He probably had 150 offers, you know, all across the country. Come and preach in, in our church against sin. Well, that's what he was doing. I tell you what, he was preaching like crazy and he got in trouble. And Jesus said in Matthew 10, 23, when you, when you are persecuted in this city, flee to another one. And, and uh, they, did, they did. And then he went to Jerusalem. And, you know, the Jerusalem believers didn't want to have anything to do with him because they didn't think his faith was genuine either, either and they were afraid of him. And look at verse 27, and we're 
coming down to the conclusion, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared to him how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus. Barnabas means, his name means son of encouragement. Uh, If ever there was a guardian angel, in human terms, it was Barnabas. And he put his arms around uh, Saul and he, he said, listen, I'll vouch for him. He's, he's, he's good as gold. And so there are certain people that came along. I think Paul was basically a loner. But when you study his life, there were a number of people that came along beside him and helped him. Um, changed his life. I think, I think the prayer of Stephen. Many biblical scholars believe that Saul of Tarsus was the answer to the prayer of Stephen when Stephen was dying. Because remember what Stephen said, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And then there was Ananias, and he had such a forgiving spirit. Now here's Barnabas, and he was an encourager. Uh, You know, there are people that God has appointed to put their arm around you if you'll let them, if you'll let them, to encourage you. I don't think God wants us to be kind of alone or out there by ourselves, winging our, just saying, listen, I don't need any help. Get away from me. I can do this thing. Uh, God has people in place uh, to encourage. And, and, you know, there are always people going into the ministry, starting their ministry. Uh, we have people in our church considering the ministry. And, uh, and they need encouragement. They really do. It's amazing what one person can do as far as encouragement is concerned. You know that? It really is. I know that there are many people who think that, well, I don't need any encouragement. I can do it all myself. Well, you can until you hit the wall. Uh, April 21st, 1855, Edward Kimball led one of his Sunday school boys to faith in Christ. Little did he know that it was, his name was D.L. Moody. He'd one day become the world's leading evangelist. The ministry of Norman Harrison in a in an obscure Bible conference, was used of God to bring Theodore Epp to faith in Christ. And God used Theodore Epp to build the Back to the Bible ministry around the world. It's amazing what one person can do. It's amazing what one person putting their arm around another person and that other person, by the way, just so happened to be a chosen vessel of God. I want to encourage you today There are young people in our church who are chosen vessels of God. Let's be to them the prayer of Stephen. Let's be to them the encouragement of Ananias uh, or the forgiveness of Ananias and the encouragement of Barnabas, okay? Let's uh, look around and not see these kids as they are, but see them as they could be. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, uh, I'm asking you today to to be an encourager, to be one of those people in God's network that he can call on when he needs some help. He uses us. He doesn't have to use us, but he chooses to use us. And... and, uh, He has people all over our area here that need help. And uh, if, you know, if you'll listen, uh, God will call on you to lend a hand. And there's nothing more blessed than that. 
You can't get any better than that. You can have a career and you can have a great education and you can have all the money in the bank that, that you can acquire, but there's nothing greater than encouraging some person starting out on their journey in the faith. Uh, just, just ask the Lord to make us encouragers. Dear Lord, we thank you for this great day which you've given to us. We pray now that you apply all of these things to our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. If you'd like to come and pray about anything that's going on in your life or the life of a friend, just feel free to do that.